I love that. I felt like Ashley was doing some like weird robot dance as she was oh, talking. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but move when I'm in <laughs> podcasting mode. Oh my God, okay. Anyway, stop laughing. Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the super young, devastatingly hip, and literally lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I am Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. You know, I'm wondering if we want to also ask for adjectives. Is, I wasn't it a smart, asking you a, a question. I was just, take? I don't know. I was just it's maybe just a, you. Guys, we still, we still have to write the script every week. We can't just force our listeners to okay. do it. So okay. we'll, we'll keep those adjectives. And that's Olga Segura. Hi, guys. All right. Um, I will say adverbs this week provided by the fourth grade class of Miss McKee. Um, St. Mary's in Alexandria, Virginia. She was my sister, and she <laughs> she actually brought before the class. She showed them all the different adverbs we had used in the intro, and then asked them to write their own. And, and she's so, teaching adverbs too, right? Yeah. So, so no, this, this was like so integrated cute. in her lesson. Um, so shout out to the kid, the fourth graders at St. Mary's. But also, you're welcome for teaching you, helping teach you. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> how how old are fourth graders now? Like it's they're like just... nine and ten. Yeah. Aww, shout out to them. Sorry if you guys are like. Ten and three quarters. <laughs> I know it's very sensitive at that age. <laughs> okay. What are, Olga, what's going on today? Wait, no. What are we drinking? Oh, yes. So we're drinking a uh, a Texas drink. Called, called the Shilton. The Shilton. Uh, thank you to Courtney Iverson who wrote in and recommended this drink to us. It's vodka, uh, one and a half ounces of vodka, two Two lemons worth of juice. It's that's important of, to use lemon juice. <laughs> to the juice of a lemon. The concentrate does not do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And some club soda. So it's really good. It's really it's good. fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's very simple, very good. So anyway, cheers, y'all. Cheers. cheers. Today we've got Phil Cly, who served in the Marine Corps from 2005 to 2009 and is also the author of Redeployment, 12 short stories about the military. Um, and after that, we've got our Consolations and Desolations, where we show you where we did or didn't find God this week. All right. But first, it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Um, first, some follow-up on a story from last week when Trump went to the Vatican to meet with Pope Francis. Shortly after that meeting, it came out that Melania Trump is actually Roman Catholic, which I, I'm shocked that this didn't come out before, but it was confirmed after this meeting. Um, a lot of people noticed her very elaborate mantilla, um, and so I guess that prompted someone to, like, ask her, <laughs> and she confirmed it. Yeah, still no word on why she's dressed like she's going to a funeral. I, no, I. If you go through the catalog of heads of states and first wives who have met yeah, with Michelle, Pope Francis, they all like yeah. Michelle Obama had she like a full on similar. like it looked like yeah. a wedding veil. So why but, like, why do black. people why do people wear all it black? It is part of the tradition. Yeah, it's, it's just tradition. That's a, I actually have actually read about that. this. The only person who doesn't wear black to meet with the Pope is the Queen or Princess of Monaco wears all white to meet the Pope, which is just like crazy but true. how come she is interesting <laughs> so yeah. i was wrong there is a word on why yeah. she was wearing all black no every single woman head of state or wife of a head of, head of state wears black and a mantia she was not being weird and she was also not slighting saudi arabia it is part of vatican protocol to do this and it would be seen as a slight to not in saudi arabia they do not 
ask you as part of their invitation to cover your head. And Michelle Obama also didn't. And it was called a bold political statement when she did it. No, don't say it was called as if everyone said that. Because I also remember reading news sources that (laughs) said the opposite. Okay. So, all right. Anyways, <laughs> okay. moving on. Next story, Next story guys. Oh. Come on now. Another Pope Francis meeting. The liberal um, fake news. Sorry. <laughs> Calm down. So uh, this did not get quite the hype that uh, Trump's meeting with Pope Francis did. But another North American leader, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada, also met with Pope Francis this week. Um, and while- Also took a photo with the Pope where the, he has resting Pope face. Yep. So <laughs> Doesn't look happy. Do not judge the pope by his photo (laughs) Um, by his smile or lack of uh yes but so in this meeting which covered a wide range of issues um the one that really stuck out was justin trudeau asked that the pope uh come to canada to apologize in person um for the church's role in the residential schools that uh the native people of canada were subjected to or in canada it's called the first nation so from, like, in the 19th century to pretty late in the 20th century, uh, Native children were put into these schools and enculturated into Canadian culture. They had to learn the language, give up their traditions, um, and were, were physically and spiritually ab- abused in these schools. So, And we have a story on this at americamagazine.org that you can find out more. Yep. What's our next story, Zach? Our next story comes from a small Christian school in Western Maryland, which... Uh, decided that one of its graduates, one of its graduating seniors, would not be allowed to walk at graduation because she was immoral, meaning because she was pregnant. Her dad was actually on the school board and ended up resigning over how his daughter is being treated. Good on him. Yeah, so good for the dad. And to their credit, Students for Life of America, which is a group that I often disagree with their tactics for advancing the pro-life message, has really come to uh, this young woman, her name's Maddie Runkles, really come to her aid and they've thrown her a separate graduation party and ceremony and really been on national networks defending her and really clobbering the school for what it's doing. Cause it's like, how are you going to, she, yeah, it's, it really discredits the Christian and pro-life cause when, when this is national news and it, it should be national news cause it's terrible, but like who's going to trust Christians when they say like, Oh, we're not, we're not just, pro fetus were pro-life in every single stage when they this is how they treat someone who is yeah what do you think the next girl's gonna do who's pregnant and in a crisis she's clearly being punished because she did this and it's very obvious because she's pregnant but what about the father what about the other men who sort of do this in high school and there's no explicit evidence of this you know um so yeah it seems it's very sexist no one is going to take Christian seriously when we do things like this. So good for Students for Life America, good for Maddie, and good for her dad. Yep. Our next story comes from Germany, where a robot priest was unveiled to mark 500 <laughs> years since okay, the Okay, so you can talk okay. about robot priests, and I can't talk about Simone Biles. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, this is totally different, first of all. Um, okay. All right. Is, is This is a first uh, robot priest ever. <laughs> Simone Biles is not the first Catholic person to do something interesting. Okay, you have to sell us on this robot thing, Zach. Yeah, the way Ashley convinced you or tried to. I'm actually going to sell you on why it's pretty dumb. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Bless You Too is the name of this robot. Oh, who, my God. And okay. the robot can deliver blessings in five languages. And then you can choose to have your blessing printed out on a little sheet oh for my you. Oh, gosh. Okay. 
Uh, people who had concerns about... Is this a Catholic priest robot? <laughs> no, no, no. It's a Lutheran. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's a Lutheran robot. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with Lutherans, but <laughs> just wanted to make sure I couldn't get the Eucharist from this guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. So... <laughs> or say confession to him. That could be nice. That's... You know, I think... Oh, I have a lot of thoughts about such a weird thing. Uh, The robot was, uh, the idea is that it was, you know, the idea is to provoke debate. The person behind it said, uh, I don't know what the debate is. How do you debate a robot? Like, how does that? It's, I mean, I think there's just like a total, This, uh, I don't know, a Catholic worldview is one that is like bodies matter and like... A human is so much more, a, a Catholic anthropology is that humans are so much more than just their soul or just their body. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Catholics, this is really not a debate at all. No, none of these yeah. blessings are real. Olga, what's our next story? So some sad news coming out of Portland. Rick Bess was a 53-year-old Catholic father who was on a crowded commuter train and saw two women getting harassed. One was a Muslim woman, one was a black woman, and he stepped in to defend them when this guy was sort of shouting racial slurs at them. Um, and he was stabbed and killed. Um, he was one of two people. He was one of two people, yeah. And there's a yeah. third who's victim who survived. Um, so this is this is really sad for several reasons. Um, one, because he stepped in. It's You know, I see so many things happening on a New York City crowded train, and I would never step in. So to read about this, it was just kind of like he was doing something that so many people are incapable of doing, and he died for it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I it made me think of a time where I was, like, walking through the park, and I was in a similar situation. This woman was yelling at a Muslim woman who um, was wearing a hijab. And I don't know, but I didn't do anything. But also the time I noticed it, it was too late. I, I like, ma- I've already made up excuses for myself that I like lean on. Right. right? Um, you know, and seeing someone go through this selfless act like this really makes you think about what would I do? Which is a complicated question. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> in my mind, it's not like a clear christian response like yes there is turn the other cheek but if it's someone else what like what's your obligation to step in Mm -hmm. and once you step in like then do you have to turn the other cheek when you're the one being attacked like i i don't think there is a clear answer um which is why yeah i like many people i see this father as a, a hero but not i don't think everyone is I don't know. Is everyone called to be a hero in that situation? Yeah, no. And, and it's like you were mentioning, in that moment, you're thinking about your own personal space. You're thinking about your own safety in or that he's, moment. He's a father of three kids. Yeah. You're thinking of your kids. Well, I think it happens so quickly, you're not really thinking about yeah. it much. You have to make a split-second decision, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think it's something... It's hard not to look at something like this and try and pray about it and like do it like a what would I do? What would Jesus do type of situation? And I don't know. That's sort of where I would sit with this for a while. It's still pretty fresh. So I, I'm i not done thinking about it or praying yeah. about it. Um, but prayers for uh, Rick Best's family and the other two victims' families um, and for all the people who are you know hurting right now in Portland. All 
All right, now we are happy to be joined by Phil Klei, author of the book Redeployment, a book of short stories about the war in Iraq, which, among many awards, won the National Book Award and was also a book of the month here at America Magazine's Catholic Book of the Month Club. Yeah, great honor. So, <laughs> add that to the No, <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's really beautiful. I highly recommend reading it if you have not already. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Yeah. How was your Memorial Day? It was very good. Um, you know, I mean, it's Memorial Day, so it's not like um, super happy fun day necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I spent I spent the day with family, um, you know, and spent a little bit of time thinking about uh, some of the guys I know who died. So uh, it was it was, you know, very nice. It was good. It was a good, good day in general. Now, for some Americans, it is just like a happy-go-lucky day, right? Like, mm-hmm. it just means barbecues. and Yeah. Did your perspective used to be like that, or did it ever shift? Yeah, of course. Um, it it shifted probably my first Memorial Day after somebody I knew had died. Sure. Uh, I think it was Ron Capps is another vet who suggested that, that Memorial Day and Veterans Day should be flipped. Because, like, how are you not going to go out and barbecue or do mm. whatever on a day off? On a three-day uh, weekend. Yeah. <laughs> in beginning May, of beginning summer. Of summer. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're fighting against the tide if you want everybody to be somber. So, you know, like, maybe do it in, you know, in, in November when it's rainy <laughs> and cold. <laughs> it's not a bad it, would be, it would make <laughs> yeah. more sense. Um, but, no, it's, it was good. It was a good, uh, you know, good Memorial Day. Something that uh, I know – I tend to go home on Memorial Day. I'm from Ohio. And something that I notice every time I'm home is that at mass that weekend, they'll, there'll be like a patriotic hymn sung mm-hmm. and it might not have anything to do with God or the church or anything, but mm-hmm. it's maybe America, the beautiful or something, or this weekend we had, uh, each branch of the armed services flag around the altar. Right. Is, have you seen things like that? Would you have any thoughts on that? <sighs> I mean, it's just a regular thing is to, to, you know, pray for those overseas and in harm's way. Um, so, like in the in the Bible Belt, you, uh, Roger tweeted a picture of you know in the heart of Texas a sign that says like "Remember the ones who died for your freedom, Jesus right. Christ and the U.S. soldier." Right. <laughs> Do things like that make you uncomfortable? Yeah, or? yeah. It's 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 not well. It's not the same. Um, I guess what bothers me is not so much the notion of like this is a sacrifice and that should be respected. It's, it's, it's something for all of us. It's something that we all have a relation to as American citizens, whichever way you, you know, you feel about the wars. But I think in general, some, you know, the, the, the kind of symbolism of the military sometimes feels like it gets divorced from the actual military itself or the actual people, um, Hmm. or even what the military is trying to do in the mission. Um, so, when there was a, a raid in the beginning of this administration and there were questions and they sort of said, well, you know, to question this raid is, is to in some way impugn the sacrifice of this Navy SEAL. Uh, and I guess that, that kind of language is, is, is what disturbs me when it becomes a way of avoiding what I think are our responsibilities as citizens, which is to be not less critical about our military policy, but more so that, that if, if, if we as a country are, are putting people in harm's way, um, and killing people, uh, then we have an extra burden to uh, discuss this and have a robust debate about it. To discuss it. this and not to, to kind of shroud it in pseudo religious, um, you know, language that, 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 uh, 
that prevents us from actually understanding what our responsibilities are and how we should go forward. Yeah. I think another way maybe that we do that is uh, shrouding it in medical language. Mm -hmm. A lot of what people who don't have any ties to the military hear is PTSD. Like anything that's Mm -hmm. going wrong back home is PTSD. And then once you put that label on it, then I'm absolved. He's absolved. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's, um, yeah, well, we're either sort of sacrificial heroes or um, uh, kind of basket cases, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, I, I've, I have friends with PTSD. Uh, you know, they're not walking around, you know, like uh, Rambo at the beginning of, of the first uh, first movie. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, you know, I've had uh, experiences where people are very eager to assume that I have post-traumatic stress, Um uh, I met a guy at a bar who told me, not unkindly, that in 10 years, all Iraq veterans were going to snap. I'd been back for three. So, you know, I had seven You left. had time. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy those seven years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, there's a way in which, you know, kind of the ways that somebody somebody feels about the war, right? Like, are you angry? Do you feel uh, in some way that your life hasn't been used well by your country, that that uh, people you knew uh, who, you know, died taking back territory that has not gone back to the, the enemy that we were fighting, that their lives were spent unwisely. Does that make you pissed off and angry? Well, it's called PTSD, and hopefully there's a pill for that that, you know, uh, <laughs> can can clear those feelings up, you know. And I think yeah. whether, you know, for some veterans, whether they have PTSD or not, it's like, no, 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 I hope there's a pill that can make you feel that too, uh, you know, civilian population. Um, what did you mean by that? Like, what do you want the civilian to engage more with the question, even, or to suffer more, or and how? Not not to suffer, but just you know, we are. We've been at war for a long, long time. Um, we're relying very heavily on the special operations community that we, you know, love to give all kinds of honor to, and and um, you know, plenty of movies, and uh, there's like a whole cottage and industry of being like a you know, Navy SEAL who writes a memoir. Uh, <laughs> but um, recent testimony before Congress, I, I think the Undersecretary of Defense said that the constant pace of depo- deployments um, is degrading, you know, degrading special operations community, uh, that we've had to eat our young and mortgage our future, right? And I, I met a, a soldier who had gone on 10 deployments recently. And the guy had said something, I think, the, I think it was... Um, you know, Uncle Sam's got a couple of sled dogs. We're just going to pull and pull and pull until their hearts explode. And that is kind of how we've been operating as a country. And I haven't seen much concern about that. Would you say that a part of the reason why it's so difficult to have these conversations could depend on where you're located regionally in the United States? So Zach talked about how in his high school, people would go to his school and try to recruit students. But Mm -hmm. for me... I grew up in the Bronx and I went to an all-girl Catholic high school and I know no one who has served in the military. So for me, trying to, I want to take part in the conversation, but Mm -hmm. I'm also very much aware that all I'm seeing, you described it as sort of war being this new norm and all these deployment Mm -hmm. numbers. But I'm like, wow, this is the new norm that I'm so unfamiliar with, you know? And and certain parts, yeah, it's very geographically dependent. And then it's just, it's an all-volunteer military, so there's not a lot of people who serve, period. Do you see that as a problem with a policy solution? Like, um, what do you think? What do you think about a 
Like, yeah, like should there be mandatory some service? Of- so I don't actually think that that mandatory service would necessarily do uh, what, what what people think it might. Um, I I do actually support mandatory service of some kind, not necessarily the military. Mm-hmm. So like you can go into the military, you can go you know dig trail in the national yeah, cool. park, you can yeah. do something like that. I think that would be just really good for the country. It would it would it would also throw people together from very different walks of life, which I think is very valuable. You know, one of the great things about the military is like you meet everybody, right? <laughs> uh, as far as, you know, a, a, you know, what you have people join up for two years. I don't think, I don't think it would make that much of a difference. I don't think we'd really use them the way that we seem to be using the military right now is not heavily relying on, on, people doing the sort of jobs that, that somebody could be trained up to do in, in, you know, with a two year enlistment or, you know, whatever you would, you, you know, you might have, um, we were relying much more on, you know, special operations community and, and, um, you know, doing relatively small deployments. We're not, don't seem to be looking to, to deploy a lot of ground forces like we did in Iraq. And if you were a platoon commander, uh, <laughs> gearing up to do something like that where we were to do it. I don't think you would want um, a bunch of recruits who don't want to be there. You'd want people who, who signed up for the jobs. Something I've kind of uh, wondered, not just about you, but with other, you know, Jesuit educated celebrities, uh, if I may. <laughs> I I'm a celebrity. It's a thing. Yeah. We work in Jesuit publishing. It's a thing. Uh, <laughs> now, now, uh, you, well, someone, yeah. So, if not celebrity, but someone who has gone on to have—I just, just walked down the street. I just people, oh my people. god, it's amazing. I, I mean, you literally can't. walked in our building, and a Regis student was like, "Oh my gosh, Phil, hi!" <laughs> so, a student who went to my high school, who I've met before and had lunch with, recognized me. That's the standard of celebrity that you're operating on. Then, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Jay Z. Tr- that's where I'm trying to get. <laughs> so, <laughs> let me. Um, but did you think at all about how your Jesuit education like impacted your career or your time in the war before? So even sure. Okay. Cause I had a suspicion that like, maybe there are some people who like the Jesuits claim after they're famous and then they're forced to reflect back on their Jesuit education and be like, how did this affect me? Particularly if you read like prayer in the furnace, it's fairly obvious. I mean, and Regis grads, know exactly who father Connolly is based on right mm-hmm. um but more than more than that if, if you're a writer of military fiction catholic fiction is very useful in general because there there are a lot of similarities uh so you know uh there's kind of an elaborate set of rituals there's there's a code of ethics you know built around particular virtues that you learn uh and that you know set of practices and in the military even has its own kind of catalog of saints, right? You know, they're medal of honor recipients, most of them, you know, and it's, it's a, and it also is deeply interested in the culture of sacrifice. Um, and the other thing is that a lot of the relationships that people have when they go into war, they do involve the deepest questions, right? Uh, there's a, um, I think I mentioned Jonathan Ebel before. Uh, when he was going through soldiers writing from World War One, he says, for a professor of religion, you know, scholar of religion, wars are really useful because people writing have a sense of separation from their loved ones and also of life's precariousness. And so it makes even kind of normally reticent people start to think about the deep questions and write back to their, their loved ones about it. And um, 
and of course, um, Carl Melantis has talked about how there's this strange religious element in war, this sense of oneself as part of a greater whole, um, a sense of existential questions. You know, for him, it's just kind of the mystic sees, sees heaven, the warrior sees hell, and then has to decide what to do with that knowledge. So, um, there's, there's, I, I, I found myself drawing on, uh, the Catholic writers that I'd, I'd been introduced to in high school, uh, quite a bit. So what did your time in the war and writing about the war mm -hmm. teach you about your faith that you would want to share with a young person or any person? It, 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 it caused me to think a lot more about the body, mm. right? Um, I had a, you know, a teacher who once talked about the human soul, you know, and, and sort of thinking of, of, um, soul without a body of being like um uh the edge of a knife without the knife right mm. um and and the it it well it it kind of led me into a rabbit hole just trying to kind of make make sense of of you know myself not as this kind of like floating consciousness um but but somebody grounded in a body and then that body grounded uh in a kind of network of of, of other people um of other bodies of other bodies yeah, yeah, yeah speaking of which the communion of saints <laughs> <laughs> lots of bodies embedded in a network yeah if you could add anyone to that communion this is so living hard. or dead i knew Catholic that you were gonna not. ask this question um i would go with shusako endo just because not just um not just because of the sort of warmth and humanity of his work but also his kind of unflinching way of approaching the most difficult and painful questions without ever yielding to the comfort of, of pure despair. Yeah. Phil, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. And again, where can people find your work? Um, You've got this book. I think they sell it places. <laughs> yeah. The, so there's the book and then uh, I've written a couple of, of essays uh, and things for um Longest is for the Brookings Institutions on their website. It's called Citizen Soldier, Moral Risk in the Modern Military. Um, and then, you know, I've written a couple of op-eds and essays and things for the Wall Street Journal or uh, the New York Times. Uh, most the, I have a website, philcly.com. That's where everything is. That's the easiest And way. the book is Redeployment. And Redeployment, you can find yeah. it at any bookstore, preferably a bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Phil. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Okay, now it's time for some listener mail. Our first letter comes from Richard Dunks. He's a great contributor to our yeah. Constellations and Desolations section. Um, so this week he found God visiting a Benedictine monastery in upstate New York where they had an annual sheep shearing. Um, uh, so, so the monks and the community come together every year to shear the sheep. Um, and he says... 
God was in the amazement of the little children seeing a lamb for the first time in their lives, and in the devotion of a husband giving his ALS-stricken wife the opportunity to enjoy the fullest life possible, and above all, in the way Scripture comes alive when the challenges of being a good shepherd and caring for the flock become real. So that's that's just beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, Richard. That's, thank and you for that. Yeah, I really want to go to this sheep shearing next yeah. year. So Jesuitical trip. Great. Okay, so with that, we'll go on to consolations and desolations. What do you have this week, Olga? So my, con- I have a consolation this week. I was at a wedding this past Saturday, um, as anyone who follows me on Instagram uh, <laughs> is aware of. Um, and it was a Christian Indian family getting married. So the for most of the service, um, the they were singing and everything, like the words were in Hindi. Um, so I pretty much understood like, 10% of what was actually happening. You speak 10% Hindi? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, just to continue dropping uh, life bombs on Ashley, I do speak Hindi. Um, so you're welcome with that Olga fact. Um, no, but I don't. I only understood whatever was uh, in yeah. English. But it was so beautiful to be in that moment. Number one, because weddings are just super beautiful and just seeing people get married in a church is fantastic. Um, but being able to be aware of sort of how God or the grace of God or how God can commu- can communicate you in a language that you have no concept of what is being said. Um, it was just a very beautiful, reassuring moment. And I was super present in it despite not knowing what was being said. Um, so that was very consoling for me. Yeah. yeah. I've been in experiences like that too, where like I'll be mass in another country and like reminds me of there's like new ways of relating to people and like new, new Noticing new ways of relationship is, like, mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. So that was super beautiful. So shout out to Levin and Tina, who got married over the <clears> weekend. <throat> yeah. Cheers to them. How, what do you got, Ashley? I have a desolation this week. It's been a while. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, so so this week, I or last week, I went out to dinner with a couple coworkers, and we the conversation led to them talking about different mentors they had had in their life. So they were talking about these people who had been really influential, influential in their careers and who they still turn to um, when they were making big decisions. Um, and then they all turned to me and were like, so Ashley, who's your mentor? And I, I started to answer and I just like started tearing up and couldn't really find my words. Uh, and cause I, I realized I really didn't feel like I had someone in my life who was a mentor. Um, and it, I mean, I, and so then I, it felt like a loss I had. And then I started thinking about like, like, why don't I have a mentor? And I think it's part of me being like a little bit too, uh, holding out a little too close to my independence and not wanting to ask for help. Um, but then even in, at America, it's a, it's a job I love, but I kind of came here on a whim. Like <laughs> it was not part of the plan. <laughs> uh, and I love it here, but I also am very aware of the fact that like if an America didn't exist, I would feel very directionless. Um, and, Sometimes I still feel that directionlessness, um, and I don't have someone to talk to that about. Um, so that was hard, because uh, yeah, even it, you know, which is not to say there's not people in my life who I can go to for advice and who haven't been very helpful for to me, helpful to me. Um, but yeah, yeah. Do you um, do you either of you? I don't want to make you cry, but <laughs> do either of you have mentors? <laughs> well, if I say yes, am I going to make you cry? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't think I do, but it, it, it's a question that I wouldn't have really thought of until this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't think I, I'm I'm gonna go with the cheesy answer and say my parents because like you know they're the typical yeah. immigrant parents who like instilled all of these values in me but yeah, yeah no god Ashley so now we need mentors <laughs> <Yeah>. darn it <laughs> I would say yeah I've had an, a lot of people drag me to where I where I am now mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, kicking and screaming but I, I there have been other parts of my life where I've like noticed a lack of relationship yeah. that. I, I'm missing in my life or that I want or desire that other people have in that that can be super desolating. So yeah. I feel you. All right. What do you have, Zach? I've got a consolation. As I mentioned on the show, it was Memorial Day weekend. I was home in Ohio, which I love. Um, but the consoling- oh, do you? Do you love Ohio? <laughs> I love Ohio <laughs> we, we so didn't much. know that about you. <laughs> you also love Ohio. Tweet at me. Uh, <laughs> he needs the followers. That's so true. Uh, <laughs> trying to be Jesuit celebrity like Bill Clyde. <laughs> Um, but, uh, went home with my girlfriend, Amanda, and for her brother's high school graduation. Um, and so we're from the same hometown. So part of going home is that we can spend time with both of our families. And this trip in particular, I was really starting to feel connected to, uh, her family. And conversely, like we spent time with my mom and sister and, you know, having her feel really connected to mine too. Um, just sort of expanding that circle, um, is always a really consoling thing. Because I feel like, you know, with your stinking other's family, there's like an initial shock where you're like, oh my God, they're tolerable people. And that's the bar, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't hate them. Like, there's a relief that comes with not hating them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm definitely past that, right? Um, But like, feeling, yeah, connected to them was really consoling. That's great. All right. Judge Whittacle is brought to you by America Media and produced by Wyatt Massey and Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Adult supervision provided by Carrie Weber. Research help from our intern, Jack McCordick. Adverbs provided by the students of Miss McKee's fourth grade class at St. Mary's Catholic School in Alexandria, Virginia. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at americamedia.org. Thank you for joining us. I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis and Olga Segura, and we will see you next week.